But we are jumping into this new marathon series this morning on the book of Acts that will, uh, will likely take us through most of 2024. And, uh, and I say marathon because Acts is the largest book in the entire New Testament. Um, as you look through the scriptures, the author of Luke, of, of many authors, uh, was not a man of few words. In fact, the, the book of Acts is actually a part of a two-volume set that tells us really all we need to know about Jesus. It starts with Luke's gospel and all that Jesus began to do and teach. And it ends then with this second book of Acts teaching us now by the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church how Jesus continues his mission. But before we get ahead of ourselves, before we jump in uh, to this, this series, let's talk about marathons for a minute. Anybody in the room pulled a marathon off in their lifetime? Go ahead. Get, be proud. Get your hand up there. Is Kristen the only one? See, I knew it. Brian, Tasha, there's a few in the room. Here's my thought, and you just kind of proved me right. To do a marathon, you have to be half crazy, right? <laughs> like, I'm all for a 5K, 26.2 miles, another level. I, a few weeks ago, I came across a Harvard professor who said that for our well-being, though, we should try to do one difficult thing every day, one thing that challenges us, which I think is so counterintuitive to our day, right? You and I, we're conditioned to go for the shortest and easiest path that the quick solution. Um, so just hear me as your marathon, folks, before we even get in. Um, I want to make you a promise as we step into this series together, and this is my promise. I promise you that what we're about to do in this book will shape your life and the life of this church in 2024 like nothing else will. If you go all in with me, not just on Sundays, but I want to encourage you to look at this throughout your week, I promise you, I promise you, your life will not be the same. And here's how I back this claim up. It's not a Harvard study. The Bible, right, the book, this book of Acts, not only tells us that the story of God's power and might was with his church centuries ago, but as God's word, it is also God's power and might for the church still today. And here's why we call this exponential. Um, in the year to come, we're going to find that God's word actually multiplies the faith of his people. There is a power between the Holy Spirit and the word that come together and lead his church. And one of the phrases that you're going to see over and over again in this series is this. Look at this. The word of God continued to increase. The word of God continued to increase. We're going to find that in Acts 6, Acts 12, Acts 13, 19, and 28. When the apostles spoke God's word, lives were transformed. In fact, here's the other phrase I want you to look at for the next year in this series. It's this. The Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Exponential. And so this morning, we're going to start just with this small story of Jesus and a handful of apostles. But believe me, it is not long before this small gathering turns into about 120 and then with one sermon, 3,000, and then another 5,000 more. And before you know it, the Holy Spirit has planted roots all over the world, just as he said he would. So here's my encouragement. I want you to lace up your marathon shoes. And as we do that, I want you to know the purpose of this entire study all year long. We are going to ask the question over and over again, how does God want to use you and I in that same increase of his church? How might the same ancient word that brought many to faith then be used by you and I right now to bring lives to faith still today? And so this morning, by way of introduction, I want to I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11 together. 
But as with any good marathon, um, we need all the prayer we can get. So pray with me before we jump in. Will you pray? God, we thank you for this, this book, this exemplary story of your church. Lord, we know that we call it the Acts of the Apostles, but Lord, it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray by that same Holy Spirit, would you speak to us this morning? With your word open, would you increase the faith in our lives? Would you add to this church, to your church daily, those who are being saved? But God, as for us right now, would you just give us ears to listen intently for what you would have for us this day? In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And thank God for that. You know, last Sunday, um, as a New Year primer, I asked you to think about your greatest dream, your biggest hope for 2024. Remember that? This morning, I want to take us a little bit of a different direction, and I, I want to invite you to think about something different with me. And I want to ask you, as you look at your, at your path ahead this year, what is your greatest distraction from what matters? Bit of a random question. What is your greatest distraction from what matters? If we're going to answer this question well, it really requires two examinations, right? First, what is it in your life that truly matters? And second, then, what is distracting you from that priority? And here's why I ask, right? From the first pages of Acts, from the very get-go, we are told very clearly what this book is going to be about. Luke writes this, this man named Theophilus, and he, he tells him, he wants him to know what this risen Jesus Christ started, he's going to see through to completion. Look again at verse 1. He's on this mission that really not even death can keep from him. In the first book, I set out to tell you all that Jesus began to do and teach. And yet now Luke has set out to prove how this same risen Christ keeps going. He wants this reader to know, by the time the Holy Spirit arrives, he's going to establish his church. And here's why I asked you about your attention span. As you open up the first chapter, it seems to me there is something from the very beginning of this story that's been keeping the disciples from jumping onto that train. Did you notice that? Like imagine um, the risen Lord appears to you now for a month straight. It's been 40 days. 
He's walked on the road to Emmaus with you. He's proven his bodily resurrection with doubting Thomas. He's made breakfast with Peter on the shoreline. And you've been told by Jesus over and over again, he's going to establish his kingdom on earth forever. Try to put yourself in that box. You've now sat with this this, this man most of your adult life, this rabbi's feet, and he continues to talk to you about this kingdom. That's what Luke tells us. All of his teaching for all 40 days was about this kingdom of God. He's told you to wait in Jerusalem for the arrival of the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to be the witnesses of the kingdom throughout the world. Now imagine you're one of the crew. What's the elephant in the room? What question has not been answered for this this king who you stand before? See, for the apostles, they want to know, well, wait, if you're the king and you have this plan to usher in a new kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem, why is Rome still in charge? Like they're fixated on this, right? When is this kingdom that you speak of coming to fruition? Look at this in verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? You know, it's quite likely that Andrew and Philip, Peter and John, have, all the rest have probably huddled up before this multiple times. That, like they don't quite understand. It, it's like the kids in the car on a vacation. Are we there yet? You ever found yourself like stuck in the wrong kind of tunnel vision where you, you get fixated on thoughts that eventually get the best of you? The risen Lord is standing before his followers. He's talking to them about significant things, the kingdom of God, but they can't get their minds off the distraction of their own plan. Like in this moment, they're wondering, is Rome going away today? Like, or is today the day that we become the new executives of this kingdom that you speak of? We've been waiting here, Lord. You know, I actually found out earlier this week some really interesting facts about tunnel vision. And that is that our our brains are wired to process both visual and audible messages simultaneously around us. And so when we're in conversation with someone, our brains will actually package up what we're hearing, the words that we're listening to, and it will send them to our visual cortex. And in that place, um, we make sense of what we're hearing. This is why I say to someone when I'm in conversation, I see your point. Because my brain's putting images to the words that I'm hearing. And yet at the same time, when our eyes see an image, the same visual cortex is at work now processing both visual stimuli and also what we're hearing. And so here's the problem. When your brain gets fixated on something, the processor gets overwhelmed. Something has to go and tunnel vision sets in. Our ears shut off, our situational awareness decreases, and we're locked in many times on the wrong thing. This is why when you've had a really rough day at work and you're processing your difficulties, you lose your patience with your children or your spouse. You can't listen and think at the same time. This is why in conflict, people don't hear each other well. This is why we struggle to be flexible with change. We're hyper-focused. See, it's almost like if for the, the apostles, like nothing else mattered but the timing of the restoration of Jerusalem. When is this kingdom returning? They had heard Jesus talk all about it, but they couldn't see it. Are we gonna get this party started or what? Look at how Jesus answers them. You know, instead of telling them outright no, Jesus gives them this response. He says, it's not for you to know. You're focused on the wrong thing. You know, for centuries now, this kind of question of Jesus' imminent return is like an ongoing distraction many centuries in the church. 
This prediction of when is Jesus going to return? The most recent in our lifetime was probably the pandemic of before that Y2K, right? The end of the world is nigh. And still today we hear rumors of war and we watch wars play out. We hear about earthquakes and hurricanes and we wonder, we even discuss like, well, maybe now's when Jesus returns. We've seen the dangers of this as cults arise with the, the, the answers that they claim the world doesn't have. And yet Jesus is telling his closest followers, his apostles, the timing of my return, that's not for you. That's for the Father. Watch how Jesus masterfully redirects the room. He says, here's what matters. This is important, don't miss this. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, your task, your life now, is to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, that's the ball I want you to pick up and bounce. See, the apostles, right, even if only for a minute, it seems to me they had lost perspective. As one scholar wrote, they were so obsessed with this imminent theocracy that they believed they were going to be the chief executives. You'll remember James and John all the way back in Mark 10, they had asked Jesus early on, like, how can we work this deal so that one of us is at your left and one of us is at your right when you come into your glory? This was a constant struggle. See, I think it's worth asking again this morning, what is it this year that has the potential to distract you from what matters? And remember, it's a two-part question. What is it that truly matters in your life? And what is, it that keeping you, what is it that's keeping you from that focus? See, and Jesus seems to give us an answer, right? At least one key answer for the church. He says, if you want a thought to dwell on, what, what truly matters in your life is your witness of the gospel. Which then has to lead us to part two, which is what is it that distracts us as individuals and as a church from that focus? You know, the apostles from the very beginning, they have this like interference that's caused them so much consternation, they can't focus on the mission. Brian did a fantastic job yesterday at our Winterfest, reminding our families like, uh, to think about what is our purpose? What is our mission statement? What is our reason for existing? You know, look at this at Luke, uh, or look at this in Acts uh, verses 9 through 10 here. Look at what Luke tells us. It says, when he said these things, when Jesus had reminded them of the mission, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. A cloud took him out of their sight. And in that place, they stood there gazing. Now, on the one hand, like this response makes perfect sense, right? This is a spectacle. It, they call this a theophany. It's a pure revelation of God's presence and power in the midst of the apostles. That cloud lifted up. Don't think like rain cloud. Think like Shekinah glory of God. I remember as a little boy putting on my grandpa's welding mask outside his shop and staring at the sun at an eclipse. And he warned me, right? If you look up and you stare at the sun without this, you're blind. I wonder if it was that kind of a, a moment. But of course, of course they're stuck. See, the more that you study this text, in, in the Greek, the word is atenizo. It means to fix your eyes on an object continuously and intensely. This isn't just looking up. Like, their necks are getting sore. This is a trance. They, they're in a stupor. Why? Like, Jesus had just told them, we've got work to do, boys. Wait for the Holy Spirit. When he comes, it's game time. And yet, now for a second time, they're stuck in their own thoughts. Can you imagine it? Peter, no, yeah, he's coming out. He's coming back any time now. Just wait for it, boys. John, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're waiting. 
I mean, could it be that they're so fixated on the heavens that they've forgotten God's plan here on earth? That they had misplaced the mission? You know, one of the things that I think we often mistake about the gospel is we talk about it as though it has no power until we get the finish line. Like until you die or the Lord returns, we talk about this, this gospel, this Holy Spirit, as though it's a benefit we'll receive later on. I've, I've never found it helpful to tell someone who's gone through some kind of a, a trauma or a major loss, like, you're just stuck until Jesus returns. Or we have to wait for glory, right? Uh, we, I've never found it helpful to, to say to an addict, like, well, there's no hope for you on this side of eternity. You're kind of a lost cause. But when heaven comes, everything will be right. And don't hear me wrong, right? We long for that day. We, we want to, the, we, we, we hope for that day when all will be made new. When Jesus will return and, and restore everything that's broken with this life. But to gaze, to focus solely on that, it robs us from the power of the gospel and what Jesus is doing right now. Did you know that there's a freedom God wants to give you in your life today? That there's a joy that God wants to bring back to you and your family and your soul right now. There, there is a mission field by which we have been sent to go and share the good news to a world that is lost. What did the angel say? Men of Galilee, why are you staring into heaven? I couldn't find the TV remote a few weeks ago. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> I went to turn on the news and for some reason that thing's got legs and it just finds itself in the most unthinkable places. Christmas day, I kid you not, I'm throwing pillows all over the place and I'm yelling out, where'd the remote go? And I hear in response at the other end of the house, I think it's in the trash. <laughs> I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I go out into the garage and I begin rifling through the garbage. And sure enough, the remote had landed into one of the old gift boxes that we had thrown away from Christmas and landed back in the garbage. And so this year, um, this year Jen got me an air tag. And now that thing is rubber banded to the remote control forever. <laughs> now see, when it's a remote, Right? That kind of fixation is probably not the healthiest way to deal with the loss. Right? You're, kind of, you're stuck in the wrong thing. You want everybody around you to join in. But stay with my analogy. When it's your sheep and you're the shepherd and they're lost and their soul's at stake, how can there be any other mission? See, do you realize like, that's the entire story of God's word? That is the book of Acts. It is one grand love story about how God sends his one and only son to save us. And here's the best part. He wants you and I to witness that story. To go and tell a lost world on a search and rescue mission to seek first the kingdom of God. And yet, and yet, we are creatures of distraction. We will so quickly get fixated. See, and Jesus gives us the answer to our question. He tells us, here's what matters most. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. And by that spirit, go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, telling them what you've seen and experienced. Imagine a rescue team setting up to save a climber from an icefall, and he's on a cliff, he's barely alive. And, but as they're gearing up, like they get sidetracked by the outcome of the event. Like, are you sure you think he's going to live that long? Like, do we really want to waste our time with this? This is a lot of work. What, what if he dies halfway down? Let's just wait it out. To focus on the timing is ludicrous, right? 
They've been sent on a mission. Or, or what if they get down to that climber but, and suddenly the most gorgeous sunset arises and they're stuck gazing up to the heavens and thinking, what if we just wait till, till the sunrise in the morning and just sit with the encore, right? No, 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 that, that would be insane. A man's life is at stake. You know what I love about the book of Acts? By the time the Holy Spirit arrives on Pentecost, you will never see this distraction again. Never once, not, like, not again are the apostles asking, when is Jesus coming back? Because they're so focused on the mission, they've lost sight of that. Mm. You will be my witnesses, Jesus said. I want to encourage you this morning. It doesn't have to be a tree stump on a street corner with a bullhorn to witness the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're thinking right now, like, man, Ryan, I, I don't like conflict or tension, or I'm not an extrovert, it can be simple. It can start right here with us being a witness to the world of transformation that happens in this place. It, it can be asking a waitress what you can be praying for. It can be inviting a neighbor to church. It can be ensuring those both on the inside and the outside of the walls in your home see something different in you so that they ask you, what is it that you have that I don't? And then being prepared to give an account of the witness, the gospel that is in you. No, this week, my encouragement as we step into this series is ask this question with me as the type A guy that can get focused on the wrong things. What is your greatest distraction from what matters? And then my prayer is that we'll give that to God so we can refocus on what does. Will you pray with me? God, it is not my mission. It is not our mission. It is the Missio Dei. It is your mission. You have sent your church on a mission in a world where you, by the Holy Spirit, are still seeking by your very word to save that which is lost. So Lord, we confess this morning that the moments in our lives where we get so caught up in our own tunnel vision that we forget why it is that we're here. So Lord, this week, would you help us to bring glory to your name and all that we say that we do? Would you protect us from the evil one, watch over us? God, would you decrease our sins so that you could increase our worship? And Lord, would you make us a witness of your gospel? Or we ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.